Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Butterfield Effect. Now, I know this is weird. We are on a new channel. The channel name doesn't make sense. What is happening in the world? Okay, if you're listening to this, you've got no idea what I'm talking about. Thank you for listening on Spotify if you are. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching this right now and the people listening to this on Spotify, listen carefully. Listen very bloody carefully. We are making a move. We are moving from the main channel, the Isaac Butterfield channel with me name and all that business, to this channel right here. Now, if you know it on Spotify and you don't know what I'm talking about, if you are watching this, you know what I'm talking about. This is the new name. It's called Cancel Me Now. And that's going to be the new name of a new podcast. The Butterfield Effect will still exist. That'll be the more serious podcast where we sit down with guests, guests, but the Cancel Me Now podcast will be a bit looser, okay? It won't be so much of an interview. It'll be having a few beers, carrying on like a bunch of dickheads. That is the plan. So welcome to the new channel. Thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. And on today's video, we have a great guest, the very beautiful, the handsome, the gorgeous Neil Kolhatka. We talked about everything from bloody Gladys Berejiklian's friendly Geordies to eating ass, probably. Who knows? It's all been happening, ladies and gentlemen. And thank you very much for joining us. Uh, and if you ha are watching this and you want to listen to the rest of it on Spotify, do that or iTunes. And if you're on Spotify, make sure you check out the video version because it's pretty bloody good as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Neil Kolhatka, a great man, a legend. Legend, a bloody mad dog, and let's get into it. Neil Kalhacka, how you doing, big dog? What's happening? I'm not bad. How are you? Good man, good. I've just uh, just come back from my run. I'm uh, I'm doing a lot of K's these days because there's no gyms open at the moment for uh, for obvious unfortunate reasons, and uh, I got a good 10 K's in today, so I am rooted. But um, And that's why I pushed the podcast forward today because I thought, mate, if we record at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going to be absolute cactus. So um, You'll be I'm, gone. Uh, yeah. I'll be, I'll be, it'll be all over. What are you doing to keep fit these days? <laughs> well, there's a luckily there's an outdoor gym uh, just at a park five minutes down the road from me. So I've been uh, getting well into the calisthenics over the last couple of months. Um, I'm surprised that uh, the police haven't tried to stop the, the people gathering there because there's about 10 of us every day. We've really? got a little calisthenics community going on there now. Yeah. So what are you doing calisthenics-wise? Are we talking a lot of pull-ups, chin-ups, all that dips and all that type of stuff? Yeah, all of that sort of stuff. A um, lot of, lot of pull-ups, chin-ups, uh, even just your push-ups. And I've got a few resistance bands that I've invested in and um, doing a few leg exercises with those. You could pretty much replace most of the exercises at the gym with um, resistance bands. And you know what? You're working out outdoors, uh, especially coming up to summer. It's free. I'm yeah. genuinely considering just like letting go of the gym membership and uh, keeping it um, at the outdoor gym. It's it's quite fun. We have one down the road from us as well, and it's very fortunate that um, particularly for training, you know, a lot of back and all that type of stuff, it's great to have 
something to do pull-ups on. And I know a lot of people listening to this maybe have never done a pull-up. My, because uh, I was always like that. I could never do pull-ups. It was always a real challenge. I was obviously very heavy and I, uh, mm. my arm strength and back strength, lat strength hadn't developed uh, at the same uh, rate as my gut had, unfortunately. So I could never do one. But what I started to use was resistance bands. And I, and I lost weight as well, of course. But uh, resistance bands were great because if you get a quite thick one, maybe it'll take you know 20 to 30 kilos off your, off your body frame. And then you can actually start building muscle as if you were lighter. And then over time, you reduce the resistance. I, I think that's how it reduce the resistance yeah sure whatever uh reduce that mm. resistance and then you're able to do these more um more relying on your own body strength rather than the uh the help of the resistance bands and now i'm at the point where i do three sets of 12 pull-ups and then three sets of 12 chin-ups and that and then i go nice. to the band and just try to sort of smash the lats out so that's my thing and I, i'm at 106 kilos at the moment that's my body weight and so to be able to do that is quite um, quite a feat for me. I never thought I'd be able to do those type of numbers. And I think that body weight exercises, this has become quite um, obvious to me during the, uh, the lockdowns and the pandemic and stuff. Body weight exercises, I've been sleeping on them my whole life. They're great. You know, body weight squats, awesome for your legs. You can just do hundreds of them mm. and awesome for your legs. And, 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 yeah, and they target, they, they're usually pretty compound in the way that they target the whole body. Um yeah, that's uh, that's great that you can do that now. Um, there are a few of those machines at the gym as well where usually you can sort of um, give a bit of resistance with the weight coming up underneath. So if you are struggling to to do the, the pull-ups, there's always that option. Um, I would love to still get to a muscle-up. I haven't been able to do that. Granted, I haven't really tried lately. I have been doing all right with them. Um, I'm, I'm doing like a couple of sets of 10 here yep. and there. So uh, I'll report back if I've been able to do a muscle up um, in the next couple of weeks. Well, I, I think the hardest part with the muscle up is generating enough force to get above parallel, right? So I That's can it. get yeah. I can get to like there sort of parallel and then it just sort of there's nothing sort of thing. And you see these other dudes and they're just like just swing straight up. I wonder if it's by very using- cool. Yeah. I wonder if by using the band, you could actually generate that force and then start to do that motion and then you'll be able to do it yourself. That's a good point. There's uh, luckily the, the one uh, I go to, there's a pull-up bar that's a bit lower to the ground. Uh, so you can start off by actually just using your feet to jump up a little bit and I can right. do a muscle up with one of those ones. Uh, but as soon as I start with the feet off the ground, I still, like I said, I haven't tried it for a few weeks now, but uh yeah, it would be good. It, it just looks really cool. Yeah, to be able to pull yourself up and then basically do like a front dip or whatever it is, but it's very impressive. It is. It's the because it's the it's the number one feat of strength. It's like you see someone do a muscle up in a gym, and you're like, holy shit, this guy or this girl is like, they're they're legit. Because like, how many yeah. how many how many movies do you see where someone's hanging off a ledge and they pull themselves up? Like it happens all the time. But in real life, most people would fall to their death there. It would be all fucking over. That's a good way of thinking about it, actually. Yeah, fuck. If I'm ever in that situation, it would be a good skill to have. Like how many people? There would Most people would be fucked. You're not wrong. Hey, if you don't have anything to put your feet onto 
And if you don't have, there's a lot of films where like the helicopter comes in right at the last second, you know, and just as there, there's always that shot of the close up of the hand just falling off the rock. And then the, and then the hero comes in and, and grabs him. Or if, if it's Bollywood, there's like a, a guy who, who jumps out of a plane um, on a rope, swings in, gets him, and it's all in slow motion. And then they do a dance. And I think that's actually the most realistic um, option that we should all be aiming for. How, how does Bollywood work? I don't understand it in the slightest. Like I know there's a lot of dance. Like is that a cultural thing? How does that sort of make sense in, in that population? I mean, to be honest, I don't know a lot about it, but yeah, look, they uh, just basically made films into musicals. So their uh, films are usually about three, four hours. There's an intermission and then there'll be a lot of uh, song and dance numbers throughout the film. And it's very exaggerated. It's very, uh, it's, it's highly cinematic and uh dramatized it's um it's fun it's a roller coaster you know what Mm. it's actually it's magic and then you actually look at that compared to some of the stuff hollywood is churning out now you know what i don't mind a bit of um the dancing and the singing it's it's fun sometimes it's nice to see a big cast of people now i i watched uh, a show called or a movie called guilt uh guilty or the guilty um and it had uh what's his fucking name he was in that boxing movie um, why that escapes Gyllenhaal? Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, it had him in it, and it was literally there was like three characters in the entire movie. Um, you know, three visual characters. There was two other characters that you only heard from on the phone. But this this uh, pandemic sort of style movie where you can only have three or four people in the in the uh, in the studio uh, filming and okay. all that type of stuff. It was one of the first movies I've seen. The only other one, and I was on Tom and Frenchie's podcast last week, and Tom was talking about this was old an M Night Shyamalan movie, um, and he said oh, that yeah. was and that was a small cast and it was shot during. Um, the, the outbreak of COVID. And from all reports, he said it was shit house. I've heard other people say it was one of the best movies they've seen. So who the fuck knows? Okay. Mixed um, reviews, right? Mixed reviews. <laughs> one but, sec. I'm just going to get my charger just in case I forgot to put the laptop on charge. Hey? That's quite all right. But yeah, well, people, people really yes. got into uh, these smaller sort of. Um, the way they do things in the world, and they and they and they changed it to uh, fit the mind, mm. the mold of like the COVID sort of landscape, and they did it with stand up. Did you? I mean, you had a lot of stuff coming out uh, on TikTok and whatnot, where it came, where it comes to stand up wise, and your um, it's almost like whose line it is anyway, is it anyway that type mm. of stuff that you're putting out. Um, obviously, you can't do that at the moment. How is that all? How is that all going? How are you changing your game? I know a lot of people were doing um, Zoom stand-up stuff, and I wasn't doing that mm. for obvious reasons. It looks a bit shit. But were you doing any of that? Were you? How were you changing things in your world? Well, one good thing about the whole lockdown is that it did force people to innovate, and I was never really interested in TikTok. But um, during the 2020 lockdown, I thought, well, why not? I've got a ton of previous content that I've posted on my YouTube channel. Let's just uh, splice it up and, and put it on TikTok. And I started generating a hell of a lot of views. I started getting um, traffic in America, all over the world. And I just got addicted to it for a while. There was nothing else to do. So I kept churning them out. And now I it's my biggest platform. 
How many followers have you got on TikTok? 1.2 million. I'm a fucking 27-year-old man who's a professional TikToker. I said (laughs) when I go to the airport now for profession, I'm not even going to write comedian. I'm going to write professional TikToker. Why not? But people (laughs) like that shit. People, that's how they um, digest entertainment now. It has to be in, you know, a short... Uh, I know TikTok now has three-minute uh, splicing up or splices, but, you know, it has to mm. be in that short, really. It's sort of like Vine. That, that's at least how TikTok started, like Vine. It was all the short-form stuff. Now it's a Definitely. little bit longer. I think, I'd say, I think it's a bit different to Vine with the features that you have, you know, with the duets and the the split screen. It's It's kind of like video memes, if anything, you know, because you've got the text there and you can say, you can, you can in, in the same way memes used to have that text and then, you know, the the juxtapose that text with some sort of a funny image, you can just do that but in video form. And in a, in a weird way, it's quite interesting looking at the trends and looking how certain sounds uh, become popular and how people then mould those sounds to their style. And it's kind of like <laughs> mimetic evolution on steroids, you know. You're seeing which ideas... Um, prosper, who can adapt, and it's it's quite remarkable. It's interesting to look at. I like the sense of humour on there. Uh, I like that it's a kind of very sarcastic, caustic kind of style. And, yeah, some of those games that I started doing, I started that show, Neil and Friends, uh, actually just before the first lockdown in, at the end of 2019 because I just felt like all the algorithms um, were only conducive to people who posted a heap of content and I just wanted extra content. So I wanted some, um, some improv. I wanted some of those line games and um, yeah, a lot of people were like, Oh, you're just copying whose line is it anyway? But like, look, whose line is it anyway? Never. They didn't invent that game. That's those sorts of games are just classic comedy games that a lot of people will do. Um, It's an improv game. It's been taught for however many years. Yeah, exactly. So now I've just sort of molded it where, you know, people can actually send in comments um, and give us ideas to try and write jokes on. And, and that's actually quite interesting. It, it sort of flexes the comedy muscle. You have to think in a weird way. Um, and then those clips weren't going anywhere on Facebook and, and Instagram, so I just assumed they wouldn't go anywhere on TikTok, but then started posting them on TikTok and they they blew up. Um, so it's just weird how how things work like that. And in this lockdown as well, I've, uh, I've just kind of forced myself to post a lot more on YouTube and now I've, I'm posting like three, four, five times a week. So in a weird way, uh, yeah, I haven't been able to do live shows, but these lockdowns have forced me to, to innovate. And I think it's been good for me. I know it hasn't been good for everyone. I know it hasn't been good for the industry at large, but um, I'm actually kind of thankful for them. Mm, but yeah. yeah, I know not everyone can say that. Well, it's one of the oppo- it's one of the opportunities you have as um, someone who can make a living from behind a, a keyboard or behind a camera is you mm-hmm. have these moments where you can um, you know you can deviate the pattern that you're on and if the pattern that you are on is hey listen I'm just a comedian I don't want to be one of those YouTube comics you know that's I look down upon that then you die in the water. You know, if you exactly if you decide, right. you know, if you decide that, hey, uh, you know, this content's not moving on here, I don't want to do it, and you never post a TikTok, then you never find out, and you never hit 1.2 million, um, you know, followers on TikTok, and you die in the. I think it's all about, you know, just 
sidestepping these problems. And mm. my my thing that's come out of the whole lockdown has been doing my podcast more and I've been enjoying that. And it doesn't get amazing views or anything, but it's got a core group of people that enjoy it. And I think that's really important. Um, that's what uh, this whole move now is um, onto the new podcast channel and with the new podcast. So we've built a, a studio that we're going to be going into in the next couple of weeks once you know we come out of lockdown and we can awesome. actually film with uh, several different cameras and have it all set up proper legit studio and so we're Amazing. going to be pump- pumping out all that shit you know and and that wouldn't have happened without uh, the lockdown so you know it's it's not what happens in your life it's how you react all that type of business but I think that really rings true mm. here um but as for stand-up, I don't know if you've done – well, you've been doing, yeah, your storytelling shows, all that, Neil and Friends. Uh, so you've been able to do bits and pieces in between lockdowns, right? Um, I know yeah. that when I, when I went back on stage after the first lockdown, I hadn't done stand-up in a year. I felt like a virgin again. It was terrifying. I don't know if you saw that as well, if you, if you felt um, that you'd missed out on – I don't know. I, I just felt – a whole rebirth of the comedy sort of within me. I was like, this is something I've never done before. I don't know if I'm funny. It was terrifying. Yeah, it's uh, in some ways it's like riding a bike in that you never forget how to do it, but uh, you lose, uh, you know, your your match fitness if you want to mm. talk about it that way. Um, I definitely felt that. Sometimes I think a break can be good. Because you just overwork, you're performing too much, the material gets stale. But yeah, the first few gigs back, I was pretty rusty. Um, so uh, it took it took I'd say two, three, four, five gigs to really um, get the hang of it again. But yeah, you're not wrong. It's um, it's 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 bizarre to actually take that break because for some comedians who've been doing it a lot longer than we have, 30, yeah. 40, even fifty years, they've probably never had longer than a week off. And for them to have a couple of months off, I know in America they've maybe had about a year off and then to just get back into it, it, it would be a completely new experience. Yeah. Um, but at, at the same time, I think this is where the innovators prosper. I mean, you see someone like Andrew Schultz and Joe Rogan, just the, you know, the classics, those sorts of guys in America, they've been killing it. Um, mm. Andrew Schultz tried that new format of sort of um, two-camera stand-up uh, it was sort of like half vlogging, half stand-up, and, you know, Netflix picked it up. Yeah. So, you know, that's a man who, um, like you said, is able to adapt to the circumstances and make the most of it. And I really admire that. I really admire what those guys have done. Mm. And, and, you know, it, it goes for all other um uh, industries too, like you know, you see a lot of people who are who make coffees. You know, it's all about deliveries now, and it's all about mm-hmm. you know making sure they optimize with Uber Eats and menu log and all that shit. I mean, it's been a an interesting couple of months, um, particularly here in in New South Wales where we both are. It's been weird. I know in Sydney you've been locked down for like for coming up three months. Is that right? Uh four now. Four. I think. Definitely July, August, September. Yeah, it's about three and a half. It started, it started near the end of June and will be semi out next week. Um, I don't know what the actual restrictions are going to be because it's not like it's it's going to fully open up. So I haven't actually looked into what exactly we'll be able to do, but I do know uh, most retail stores, gyms, bars, they'll open for people who are vaccinated and I'll be able to do my, uh, my small shows again. 
which I'm excited for. Um, but it's it's been a tumultuous couple of months, definitely. How's it been in um in Newcastle? Has it yeah, I mean sort of been similar? Well, Claire and I moved uh, just before the start of this uh, lockdown, and so okay. we're in an area where you know we've got our, our new house, and so there's a lot going on here. We've got to make sure you know that we're Congrats. sort of thank you, um, make sure everything's going like the way we want it to, looking the way we want it to. But we've also got you know there's a Woolies down the street, and there's a bottle of down the street, and like I'm talking 250 meters from the front door. And there's a big park, a footy oval, you know, uh, half a kilometre and, and an outdoor gym. Other than, you know, going to the petrol station, we haven't had to leave for anything. It's been like Fair fine, enough. you mm-hmm. know. So, and, and because I make my income online, it's been relatively fine. Um, my thing with this whole thing is I have to remember to look uh, at this from the perspective of someone who is not making an income or his income has been uh, halved. And that's mm. what I think a lot of people don't do. I think a lot of people fail to do that because they are comfortable in their position. So you look at, you know, uh, journalists who work at wherever, uh, X, Y, Z, the, the, the people with the blue check marks on Twitter, these type of people who are angry at protesters or are angry at anti-lockdown people or whatever, these people mm. are comfortable in their lives. They don't have to go out and, and do this and do that and now they can't do it because of lockdowns. I feel like there's a lot of judgment from those type of people onto the underlings, the, the peasants below them, if you will. And I think that's mm. unfair. Uh, I think people need to sort of realise that because you see a lot of people, like whether it's a news broadcaster or someone on the project or whatever on radio, and they go, why are these idiots out doing this, this, and this? Well, they're desperate. A lot of them are desperate. It's not all of them. Some people are just doing it for something to do. But a lot of people are desperate. And I'm I'm not an anti-vaxxer at all. I've had my first shot, and I know people are mad at me for doing that, which is weird. Um you know, I, I didn't necessarily want to get one right now. I was in no hurry, but I want to get back to work, you know. so Yeah, I was in the same boat, yeah. I just want to get back to work. And, and it's not nice to have, you know, coerced in a certain way to go and get, you know, something. I get that. Um, but if it, if it does reduce your viral load, which some people say it does, then great. I can go and see my grandparents, um, you know, all that shit. Like it, it's at the point where now where you just go, fuck, let's just open the fucking thing up. Uh, and that's where we're going to in New South, New South Wales next week, hopefully. Um, mm. We shall see. And I guess, yeah, it's uh, very strange, very strange. The whole the whole last two years has just been very strange in every way. It's going to be a very memorable time. It's a historical period. So it's interesting that we're living through it. And look, when I previously said um, this is, you know, it's shown who who the innovators are. Some people are just are not in a position to do that. I was talking about people specifically in the entertainment world. There definitely are some people who just, uh, you know, they're trapped, um, feel like prison. So um, I think people do have the right to uh, protest. And, um, yeah, I think there is a very different experience for someone who, uh, is financially well off and is able to work from home uh, compared to someone who, and look, there's been there has been government support, but for some people, it, it, it's not um, the same as what they were earning before. And, and especially in Melbourne, they're just the successive lockdowns, the constant back and forth. Yeah, that would be 
uh, just extremely frustrating. And, you know, for, for people who have small businesses with stock that is uh, somewhat perishable, um, if, if they thought, oh, lockdown's over, I can buy a couple of months' worth of stock now and invest in that, and then, boom, a couple of weeks in, you lock down again and, and that stock then goes, you know, you can't you can't sell it anymore. So those are the people that are really, um, they deserve, you know, some support and and yeah. and our thoughts. I mean, it's it's rough. It's uh, something like Australian billionaires have increased their uh, net worth by about fifty percent, um, and that was just in twenty twenty. Uh, so I don't know how much they've increased it by in in twenty twenty one. So I think they're the real winners. Um, I don't know what the solution is. I'm not trying to say oh, we just need a you know some sort of communist revolution or something like that, but. They've clearly been able to benefit from circumstances that, you know, it's not about um, someone's worked harder or someone's, uh, you know, just found a better idea. Just because with the uh, incredible amounts of capital that they have and the the way that uh, large corporations can still prosper throughout lockdowns compared to small businesses, um, it doesn't seem like a fair playing field there. And, and I would actually be in favour of some sort of, government um assistance there i don't know what that is i don't really envy the the polit well i mean like i have my frustrations with the politicians right now but i don't also don't envy them having to make these sorts of decisions yeah um but it's a, look it's a, it's a very tough situation for everyone and something i just thought of too like if you've got a, if you've got a small business or even let's say you're you're la- launching your first youtube channel let's say um and this is sort of Maybe we can look at the parallels between this and a, a small business where they make fucking they make wooden tables, and you know they rely on word of mouth, they rely on previous jobs, they rely on listen. I just did a job for old mate down the road. Hey, listen, up the road they need a table. Go and see them. And so if they're in Melbourne, they haven't been allowed to work for X amount of months. They haven't been able to allow the word of mouth to continue, to come and install the tables. They can't come in the house. They can't do that. Maybe that's a whole nother example of um, businesses failing or businesses falling to the ground because of the lack of um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, Consistency. Yeah, consistency and when you get a roll on, that type of thing, you know, momentum. Yeah, absolutely. Without the lack of momentum or even a bar, a, a bar that starts to, you know how bars just some, this happens in Newcastle all the time, one pub or one bar will be like the place to be for two years and then all of a sudden it'll be somewhere else. What happens yeah. if you're that bar and and then lockdown hits and then you're fucked? You know, where is the potential for making those losses back? Is it just too bad, so sad, you know, that type of thing? Or is there some sort of recourse where you can go, hey, you know, you know, but I mean, you could argue that for any business. So it's sort of a flawed system. But I just feel like it's, as you said, with the billionaires making 50% more on, on, their, on their profits, it just doesn't seem fair. But I mean, you know, business yeah. isn't fair. I, I guess that's the argument that's, against look- that. Yeah, I mean, to what degree do we need to, um, you know, is it one? I've heard some podcasts that have suggested a one-off wealth tax and all sorts of things, but then that has its problems as well. Like I said, I, I don't know what the solution is. Yeah. Um, it does look like Australia is trending um, to, you know, the, the the gap between the wealthy and the 
middle class keeps widening. It's still a lot better than America. Um, and then, yeah, you've got to ask the question, is that actually a bad thing? Who knows? But yeah. uh, these are the sort of things that I think that like the long-term trends, what is the country going to look like 10, 20, 30 years on, in the future? That's what we should be worrying about as well and not just get caught up in like the heat of the moment um, or the opening up and, and things like that. What, what are, is the long-term damage? Um, I heard it, in America uh, something like 50% of children are now overweight because they've been at home. I mean, I'd have to look, I don't know that, that, that just saying that, that sounds pretty shocking. Um, I wouldn't I be surprised if that, I, well, let, me, that is, let, me, it's just, let me Google it. Um, I would not I, be surprised. I, I sort of, um, breaking points, I think. It's a good sort of independent American politics show. Um, but they were saying there's just a lot of, like, like kids are suffering a lot having to uh, be homeschooled for a long time and, and then, as a result, parents are suffering as well. This is just a big uh, collective clusterfuck for everyone, really. Um, and hopefully, it you know, we're allowed to reflect and then we can kind of learn from it. But, yeah, some people are going to pay the price a lot more than others and got to look out for each other, I guess. Yeah, I, well, absolutely. Um, we've got here the CDC. Now, I'm not trying to disprove you at all. I'm just reading up now and maybe they don't have the numbers for this year. Uh, yeah, look, I, could, I, I have to check on that as well. That, no, just no idea. That, it sounded a bit shocking. So, so this is for two to nineteen-year-olds in twenty seventeen to twenty eighteen. It was twenty percent then. So, okay. um, you would imagine that over the next couple of years, and I'll try and find the actual uh, data if I can, just through Google's. But it's definitely up there already. We're at twenty percent. You know, five years ago. Um, any graphs? Any Special graphs getting around. Yeah, it's um hmm. I think it's so stopping got, at yeah, twenty eighteen. On this YouTube video it said uh uh that childhood obesity has skyrocketed since the COVID pandemic restrictions began. Right. So I don't know what the actual percentage is, but 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 you would imagine it makes sense, it, it would increase. Makes sense. yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, kids being stuck inside. Um mm. well how about this? For adults in twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen in Australia uh, two in three, 67% of Australians age 18 and over were overweight or obese. Like, that's crazy. And considering that the one of the more prominent comorbidities of a yeah, COVID is virus obesity. is mm. obesity. There was numbers thrown around like 80% or something like that. Increases your chances of dying for 80, of, of 80% or something insane like that. And to think that no one... Not one politician has mentioned that even once in this whole two-year period that, hey, if you are overweight, you got a, you got a much higher chance of, of dying. Uh, they'll say yeah. that old people or people with, um, you know, lung problems or uh, cardiovascular issues or, or anything like that, but they will not say that if you are overweight, you might have a chance of dying. And I think that's disingenuous mm. because it's a – it's a relatively simple thing to fix, overeating, a- amongst other diseases that you can't fix. It's a relatively simple one. Um, just stop putting as much food in your mouth. Eat less, move more. But, mm. you know, in comparison to the other things that people would have to change to try and beat this virus, it's very simple. But I, I don't know. I don't think people are-, are overly concerned. I think people are more or less just accepting 
the things that happened during this and considering and, and thinking to themselves, these will, um, these will correct themselves. So, you know, I brought up, I filmed a video this morning and I brought up in a kids not being able to recognize facial um, expressions during a conversation. That That's something that I, I was thinking about the other day, considering that, all you know for a two-year-old between the formative ages of two and four they've never seen someone you know smile or or smirk or act sarcastically when they say something unless it's their own parents in their own home it's yeah, scary and already already mental health uh outcomes have been just drastically declining for people um gen z and and younger i mean it's just something that the, the rates of self-harm for children uh, since the iPhone, basically, uh, it, it's astronomical. It's it's disgusting, really. Like these are wealthy countries that need to do better for children. You know, um, I don't know what. Again, I don't know what the solution is, but I would actually lean towards a, a pretty strict authoritarian measure there. If it's if it's really uh, hurting children's mental health that much, maybe you do just need to ban it for kids. I don't I don't know because you know you and I both make a career out of um, online, well, primarily online. Um, I think once you're over 18, obviously there should be few restrictions, especially on what people say online. But I have a very different view for people under 18. I think, uh, I think you know, safety measures and, and restrictions are appropriate for yeah. uh, people who aren't adults. But then once you become an adult, <clears throat> no, I don't think you need to be protected from... Um, what people say online. I mean, within reason, someone's trying to, you know, just directly calling to to kill you or something, you know, sure. there's obviously a line there, but um, for the most part, I would be pretty lax on um, speech codes on online. I'll change sorry. it for kids. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Claire and I have been talking about this recently about kids and having kids. And you see a lot of parents with iPads in, in prams and stuff. And that's a concern. You know, if it is that really affecting children in the in the idea of dopamine release and constant? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. Definitely. So, if you are a believer in the idea that uh, if a child is constantly being rewarded uh, through games and and flashing lights and all this shit in front of them, if you are a believer in that, and that's what the science is telling us at the moment, um, you've got to think that it's not a good thing to give your kids constant rewards as far as technology is concerned it's got to be a bad thing yeah it's it's yeah if you look at even just any of the basic statistics of um what has occurred to children uh since well since the internet but then it spiked dramatically since the iphone essentially yes. since the smartphone i mean you got to just I know some parents who just don't even give their kids smartphones and I know they may even get ostracized for that at school when all the kids are talking about uh, what was happening online and, and, you know, who follows who and all of that. But I think for the long-term health of the, of your children, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I also don't envy parents who have to make this kind of decision, but it's a tough one because you don't want, if you've got a son who's, um, playing video games with his mates in the afternoon, you don't really want to prevent him from that. No, not at all. So what do you do? I guess time limits maybe? 
Yeah, it's yeah. the constant. Mm. But but all okay. So to play devil's advocate with this, we grew up with telly, right? Yeah, and and, and we and watched I, telly. Yeah, we had MSN and all yeah. that sort of stuff. It's not like we were completely um, in the dark uh, ages off the internet for sure. Yeah, but. I think our parents probably would have looked at us and said, oh, you know, you're on there too much. And then maybe their parents looked at them and said, oh, you listen to records too much. You know, this is, is this just a generational gap? And maybe, That's a, you know. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're uh, overthinking it and panicking too much and maybe, you know, we'll adapt and uh, figure out a way to navigate the minefield of social media. But I don't know if, you know, television and, and like original video games increased rates of self-harm and and poor mental health outcomes in in terms of children as much as uh, the internet and smartphones have that's like i said i don't know uh maybe there is a trend there but it seems like it feels like this is particularly pernicious and i think some sort of reasonable um middle ground solution has to at least take place. I mean, in China, they're going, they're, they just banned uh, effeminate male characters in video games. So, uh, and they I also think, I think put that's a time a great limit move. on everyone. That's a great move though. That, that is a good move. Um, definitely mm-hmm. trying just to avoid okay. the soy boys and uh, the whatnots <laughs> out in the community. Sure. That's Look, for sure. You could make the argument that it is, but like, to play devil's advocate to you now, at what, like, what would you define as an effeminate man in a video game? How would you depict that? Mate, um, just anyone without a beard, I think, needs to have a, a, <laughs> well, needs to be looked at. Has to have um, a beard. Yeah. Has to have a beard. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the, the, the reason I had you on today is because I wanted mm. to talk about what's happening in the New South Wales government. And, I, and you're closer... Um, oh. You're closer to friendly Geordies than anyone I know, and mm-hmm. I would I would have asked him to talk about it, but I I think he's got enough on his plate at the moment. He is. I'm sure he does. Yeah. You you speak to him every week on your podcast. If that's if that's still yep. happening at the moment, how's yep. how's he doing? How's he doing at the moment? And how has he been throughout this uh, entire ordeal? And I'm sure we'll go into detail of what's actually happened in New South Wales. Uh, or maybe we should start with that. So Gladys uh, resigned and then uh, John Barillaro, uh, the deputy uh, premier, resigned. Gladys resigned uh, due to an investigation through uh, ICAC, which looks at corruption throughout uh, the government bodies, um, which is tied back to a former partner of hers who was in some dodgy dealings. Uh, and Braz is sort of um, – he's gone for reasons unknown, really, at this point. Yeah, I've, I've seen a few rumours on Twitter last night. I don't know, I deleted my Twitter account, but sometimes I just take a glance um, to what see the, what's going on. What are on. the rumours, please? Well, there's people on Twitter saying he uh, may have knocked up a staffer. Oh. But go, all of these are rumours. So I'm not, you know, I don't want to get the fixated persons, whatever no. it is, after me. Even I don't though I, believe I have that. the appropriate look for them, for the anti-terror police to come after me. I'm already probably on a fucking watch list, but um, these are all rumours. But I heard on Twitter that uh, it's something like his Barnaby Joyce's daughter who worked for him and they what? had an affair or something. No, but again... No, I don't believe that. He wouldn't I, do yeah, that. I, who knows? <laughs> he just wouldn't a, do it's that. It's a mess. His um, career has... Jordan, 
Yeah, sorry. Oh, you're gone. His career has become a mess the last two years. It has just turned into an absolute awful. Uh, it, it is very interesting mm. to look at the control that one person can have from the internet can have over a political landscape, and that's what Jordan has um, somehow it's beautiful. done. It is amazing it's, to look at. It it's inspiring, really. I mean. Yeah. This, this is just David versus Goliath here. I mean, for an internet creator, an independent internet creator, doesn't have any, you know, funding from the ABC or from uh, Channel 7910 or anything like that to have actually changed the course of state politics. Yep. Is, it's history making. It's, oh, well, uh, it's there's incredible. Also the, there's the million dollars or so that uh, the Labor Party funnels into him every single year. Oh yeah, all of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And all the, I, you know, I told, I said, I said, why don't you make t-shirts? <laughs> I was like, why don't you make t-shirts that say Labor Shill? I'm sure they would sell out immediately. You know what I think actually Barilara didn't realise is that when you get like when someone's trying to attack you with a smear or something, own it. You know how yeah. he was going after Marcus Paul and he said, oh, he looks like a prawn and he's got a prawn head. And then Marcus Paul posted a photo of himself as a prawn. That's yeah. that's how you deal with it. You own yes. it, okay? And, yeah, he didn't have the temperament to, to deal with it. Um, and, look, Jordan has been remarkably stoic throughout this whole ordeal. Uh, I feel like I've been more stressed on behalf of him. <laughs> he clearly is just a man on a mission. And he has his goals, he has his purpose, and it's uh, it's in, in many ways it's inspiring to see. Um, he offers, again, whether you agree with his politics or not, he offers a different narrative to um, mainstream media, and we need that. We need competing narratives. We need different points of view, different perspectives, and, you know, we're obsessed with diversity, but we need diversity of opinion. Um, diversity of political opinion and that's something Jordan offers and it's remarkable what he and his team have done there's a, there's a whole team involved there mm. uh, but to, no he's been so quite calm throughout it I mean unless he's sort of hiding it away from me but it's it's really uh, amazing he's well, a I, very stoic man <laughs> I, te- I text him when it was all going down and the fixated person thing was happening and the lawsuit was announced and I said, how are you doing, man? Like, is everything okay? He said, yeah, man, great. I was like, okay, yeah, same. fair enough. I think yeah. I, did a, I did a podcast with him uh, two or three weeks after it all happened and the first question was like, how are you doing personally? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. So- yeah. Isn't that crazy? Because I would be stressed. I would be, and I'm sure he is stressed, but oh, I, would be, same. I would be on edge, super stressed out. Oh, absolutely. If, uh, yeah, if the anti-terror police are coming after you and, you know, there's a huge lawsuit hanging over your head, um, that's very zen of him to stay calm and, and stick to his guns in that situation. So it's a testament to his character. He's yeah. a very driven, um, he's a driven man with a purpose. But just incredible to see him over the last 12 months or so have more of an impact on, um, you know, not so much, well, I guess Australian politics, more New South Wales at the moment, but Australian politics than politicians do in 50 years in the business. Now that He has changed the course of history in New South Wales from his studio, bedroom, whatever. And that is really, that should be a scary thing for politicians. 
they should be fearful of people finding out their deep, dark secrets and they should be worried about doing the wrong thing because someone's going to find out and you can, you know, and you'd obviously you don't want things happening that are untrue. You don't want rumors like that. But things that have happened uh, or allegedly have happened, you having someone to be, be able to push that message out to the world and not have a hidden agenda is very new. It's never happened before. Usually to have a voice, you have to be someone who plays ball. Jordan does not play ball. And that's that's got to be scary for a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's great to see. It's um, really uh, fantastic seeing new media. I like uh, I like that term. So um, do I. Rather than online media or social media, I think new media are mm-hmm. uh, making waves because the implications are, are huge. Um old media i also don't even like mainstream media anymore because i mean like well how do you define mainstream i mean yeah who's watching who uh what actually is the mainstream but we'll call it old media or legacy media uh well speaking about what we were talking about earlier in the pocket they, they haven't been able to adapt the internet has just killed them they have mm-hmm. all these uh exorbitant costs weighing them down and then they've tried to be you know, extremely clickbait. They've tried to be extremely partisan. They've tried all sorts of things, and it's just the slow death of old media. Um, and you know, this, I'm not going to say they're all hacks and they're all biased or anything like that. But look, uh, in many ways, they do have themselves to blame because they have been pushing all sorts of uh, agendas. They haven't really heard people out. They um, it's frustrating to watch some of the um, news channels or the, you know, so-called intellectual shows uh, in Australia and even in America. And I think, you know, people are going to seek out um, people who speak to them and who are authentic. And, you know, none of us are perfect, but we'll admit when we say something wrong and we'll, you know, we'll try to try our best to be as truthful and honest as as possible. Uh, but we don't have this sort of air of arrogance that it, it feels like that the uh, old media people have. You know, we we tell you what to think. You know, we're the gatekeepers of of reality and information. Yeah. And I mean, there's a war. It's it's like an ideological media war, really. I mean, first it was just comedy, which is something that you would have experienced as well it was just online comedians and um traditional comedians to an extent that's still ongoing but look uh online is winning there's a few battles here and there that old media and old comedians went to but overall the trend is that everyone's moving online everyone's seeking out um you know, comedians that suit their style, that have their perspective, and similarly, uh, journalists and commentators that have, you know speak to their sensibilities and their uh, worldview. And there's positives and negatives. You know, there are some people who can just start a YouTube channel and com- completely lie about things and and still generate an audience. But you know, I did a podcast with Jordan about this actually um, last week. Whenever you hear the old media talking about the dangers of new media, it's the, um, what's that saying? It's the pot calling the kettle black because yep. they've also dabbled in misinformation and 
uh, attention grabbing headlines without nuance and, you know, try to shame a lot of people and they only have themselves to blame. Um, this isn't, you know, this, it's not like online commentators and personalities are uniquely uh, dabbling in conspiracies and, and not looking at all sides. It's, it's everyone. It's all, all forms of media. So it's, uh, it's a good time to be an internet creator. Um, I always, you know, wanted to get it when I started my career, it was always just a, a, a springboard to try and get onto TV, to try and get into radio or to try and, you know, get into even Hollywood. But now, I mean, I don't, why? Why would you yeah. want to jump onto a sinking ship? I mean, if and, the and right opportunity comes too. along. You did a lot yeah, of TV I few, too. I did a few little TV spots here and there and they were fun. But once you've had the amount of creative control that you have online, which is just infinite, you can say and do whatever you want really. Um, why it, it's frustrating. It's um, it's restrictive going back and just having to deal with a script that you maybe don't like and, you know, having uh, a, a multitude of um, people putting in their input. And sure, you can create amazing big budget productions, which I think will still exist. They'll be on Netflix and other streaming services, but comedy on, on TV in particular is is... I mean, it's all but dead, really, because, you know, you can't afford to be too niche. You can't afford to be provocative and controversial. You have to be extremely safe, and that's never good for comedy. And It's the same shit. You know, Every, everyone talks about the same shit, and it's boring. Exactly. I, I, I've yeah. seen, like, I don't watch any free-to-air TV, like none, mm. you know, and I don't think very many people do. But you see the people who are on... Uh, a lot of these, like, you know, the quiz shows or whatever, the comedians that come on, and we know these people. And it's yeah. like, it's like, yeah, they're, they're all right, but why are they on the fucking TV? And it's not a jealousy thing. It's just like you understand how that model works. It's not about rewarding the best. It's rewarding the people who play ball. And legacy media, I prefer, I prefer as you, you, you kept saying, uh, old media. And I think they push the idea of the legacy oh media because it's this, oh, mm. legacy, you know, nah, fuck them. This old media sort of mindset where mm. they they come on the TV with this air of arrogance. You know, they speak with a voice that, uh, you know, coming up in the news, we've got this coming up and this is why you need to listen to us and this is the. They are full of shit. And that doesn't mean that the mm. local newsreader has some strange agenda. But when... You know, when 70% of the media in our country is owned by one dude, how can you trust anyone? You know, mm. you, you see the rich are getting richer, and I don't think that's a bad thing, but when it comes to the rich making more money to buy up more media, then, yeah, that's a bad thing. You know, you, you, how do you force diversity into that? I don't fucking know. Uh, but it's, um, it's a concerning process to be in uh maybe not so concerning for us now because we're on it seems we're on the ass end of it but it must must be a concerning thing to look back on for everyone to look back at the last 100 years of news and go you know how much was bullshit because we have people who will uh you know go out and say what they like and they are basically journalists you have people like friendly geordies even Avi Yemeni people say oh he's not a journalist why why is he not a journalist 
Exactly. He's what, what defines journalists there. You what, know? you went to fucking, you did a journalism, you went a communications degree with, you know, full of a thousand other assholes that no one's ever going to care about. You know, you're a proper journalist. <laughs> Fuck off. You know, Arvi is yeah. doing his thing. You're doing your thing. And, you know, he's on the ground and all that type of shit. I, I, I you know, I know a lot of people bag him, but I got time. I got time for Arvi. He, he, when that whole Jewish joke came out, he was the only person, he was his first person to call me. And he is, uh, you know, a per- person uh, of Jewish background. Um, and he was the first person to call me. So I've got a lot of time for him. And, I always get the shits where how people just go, just because of his politics. No, no, he's full of shit. Yeah. I think it's dodgy. And, and what's becoming really tiresome is just labelling everything as alt-right or far-right. I mean, there's a lot of nuance there that, oh, it's, you know. It's that, a bad that argument. old media needs to, you know, pick up on here, okay? You can't just say everything you disagree with is alt-right, okay? It's, it's, yeah. it's pretty juvenile, really. Um, and well, it's the boy it's who cried wolf. That, like they, yeah, that as well, right? Because then, at what point do people start saying, well, "Fine, then I don't care about your labels. Like I'll own it and just here's what I have to say. Here are my opinions." Um, it's strange with like how they treat. Like I on like ABC and SBS again. Like a lot of those comedians, I I know them all. They're, they're wonderful people but everyone who's not white is like this kind of pet you know it's like this little puppy dog and they want they want them to say how hard their life is and like how hard it is being not white and you know i don't want to do that like i I mean sure i've got jokes about white people and bogans fuck i made a career out of that but i don't want to get onto abc or sbs and just like bitch about how hard my life is because i'm I'm brown. I just don't. I no disrespect to like other people, but I, I just don't see how that's empowering either. It to me, it's very infantilizing. Um, it's it's not. Yeah, I don't feel empowered seeing that. You know, I um, and it almost feels like you ha- you you have to do that if you actually want to be a like non-white <laughs> personality on on TV. You kind of have to. Play the race card to a degree that it's just demeaning almost. Like you're some it kind is. of pet. And, and that is and the word. That's the yeah. word, Neil. It's demeaning. And they do it to women it's, too. It's not just brown people, yes. black people. They do it to women too. How they're a minority, I'm, I'm not sure. But they do it to women too. And it is from, from, for a white, from a white boy who wore a fucking singlet in the sun for an hour today and is sunburned. It looks as demeaning as fuck. It's not good and it's got to feel bad. For someone like yourself. Yeah, I can't stand it, man. It's just uh, I can't see how that's, you know, quote-unquote empowering. Um, Look, if people have uh, endured really horrific instances of racism or something like that, I should definitely talk about it. It should be brought to light. But that's all. there's like no talk of, hey, I've done well in this country and because of this, the laws and the the economy of this country, I've been able to do well, which I maybe wouldn't have been able to do in another country. Um, it just is like demean. Yeah, demeaning's the right word. Patronizing. Yes. And it it feels like it's it's there to sort of uh, it that mentality exists for um, maybe older 
people who, who have some guilt or who want to feel like saviors, uh, they can pat themselves on the back and say, oh, I'm virtuous. I've listened to the stories of the oppressed people. And like, well, what, <laughs> what have you done? Yeah. You know, it's just the whole thing. It, it makes me cringe really, really hard. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more about that, you know, and then, and every interview it's, um, that I do with, uh, old media journalists, they just straight away go to the, what's it like being a brown comedian? What's it like being brown? And then it's like they're trying to they're trying to get you to say, yeah, my life is hard and, and my life sucks. And it doesn't. i got a great life. Like I'm, I'm successful and, you know, I'm, I'll always stand up for people who are genuinely uh, victims of racism and things like that, but I don't want to sit here in, in pity and, um, languish at how some drunk person made a, a slur towards me, you know. I, I just yeah. don't, that's not what I'm about. And I find it extremely demeaning. And you can't live your life like that. I mean, you know, there, everyone knows that supreme racism has existed forever. Like I was watching this TikTok the other day, and it was a dude um, remodeling a chair in America, and he was a he was a black gentleman, and inside the chair was slave hair. That's what was used as stuffing. Like that's that's crazy shit. I feel like, and and please um, let me know if I'm wrong. I don't know if people are as racist as they used to be. Everyone says Australia is a racist country. I don't think so. I think that the person who's going to look at you differently, genuinely, not make jokes, but genuinely look at you because you're brown in in comparison to me, I think they're just shit people. I don't think it's about racism or sexism or any of that. I think they're just shit people. The same people who would judge you for being brown, even though, you know, you're as Australian, if you want to look at it like that, as anybody else, if they judge you for being brown, they're the same type of person that would kick their dog or would not hold their daughter's hand in public because you don't want to be seen as less masculine or something like that. They are just shit people. And I don't think we're ever going to get past that because in a population of, let's say, a million people, you're going to have 10,000 cunts. It's just, that's it. It's such a complex and nuanced uh, discussion and, and it's not done any favours with the rhetoric on old media because you're right. Uh, I think it's human nature that there will always be a small uh, percentage of crime, of racism, of hatred, of discrimination. And I think uh, perceiving an entire country and just defining it as racist is reductive. Also, there are just different definitions of racism now, right? There's the, the sort of critical social justice left that sees racism in systems. And if there is a disparity uh, in any given complex economic system it is therefore a racist system therefore anyone who benefits from that system is inherently racist i don't agree with that definition i do think racism is an individual act and i do think uh people of color which i think is a really patronizing term as well like how's it yep. different to colored people right um yes. i i think they can be racist too i don't agree with this definition that um racism is just prejudice with power and it is a perspective, yet they're teaching that perspective like it is fact. Now, I don't want to silence that perspective. I don't want to purge that perspective. People should be exposed to different ideas. People should be exposed to different philosophical perspectives, but it is a perspective. And when you teach it like fact, 
It's dogma, okay? And, you know, there's a conversation now in America about critical race theory being taught to, to kids in school. I'm sure that same conversation will be occurring here in a couple of years. It's just a matter of time. Um, and I, I can't see how this is helpful, how this is beneficial in the long term. Uh, so many people conflate uh, these sorts of ideas with just teaching history. We should learn history. We should learn about everything that happened in history, all the atrocities, all the horrible crimes committed. No one's, no one's, who's, who's against that? Who's out there saying, no, we shouldn't learn about, you know, the, the horrible crimes that were uh, committed against the Indigenous population? No one's, <laughs> have you ever no. heard someone say, no, no, we shouldn't teach kids that? No one's saying that. Okay, it's, it's, it's more a discussion about what are the implications uh, of that today and how do we um, deal with that? How do we sort of converse about that? And is it embedded into, uh, well, something as complex as Australia today and can just be defined as the system? Um, there's no actual diversity of opinion. That's the big difference. And at the end of the day, I actually think it's bad uh, for uh, a young boy who may be brown or black to be constantly told that they can, they'll always, you know, their their blackness or their brownness is some kind of disability, right? That's not empowering. That's not an empowering message. That's not going to um, be conducive to them uh, working to the best of their abilities and achieving their full potential. And I also don't think it is because there's there's not that there isn't a discussion about cultural differences as well, behavioral differences, economic differences. We don't talk about class anymore you know there's i did a podcast with jordan a couple of weeks ago as well and, and still one of the biggest factors as to how uh how unequal your opportunities in life will be is actually the income of your father and this was a study that was only what three four five years old um and and race and gender actually they still they played a role so i'm not saying we don't we stopped talking about it but they played a, a comparatively minor role and, you know, as someone who grew up with uh, parents that uh, were, you know, middle class, some maybe even upper middle class, I'm very thankful for that. I, I had a very financially privileged upbringing in that sense. You know, I don't want to sit here and languish in self-pity as well because you, you also ignore all the, the benefits that you had. Um, and it's also very, it's, it's, an, it's a sort of easy out. It's a way to absolve yourself from personal responsibility to say, and like I'm, I did this when I was younger. Right? Oh, the reason I'm not on TV is because I'm brown. The reason I'm not successful is because I'm brown. That's a horrible mentality to have, because then it's it's putting all the blame on external factors, and you're not looking inwards and asking, well, what could I be doing better? How could I be uh, working on myself? Is it all just because I'm brown, or is it because these other comedians are maybe better comedians? That's yeah. that's some that's a sort of tough realization to sometimes have to grapple with, but it's a better way of looking at yourself in the world as an autonomous individual who is reasonably in control of their life and the outcome of their life. Again, not to say we don't discuss anomalies and disparities and advantages and disadvantages, but ultimately I do believe every individual individual has a degree of autonomy uh, that, that allows them to achieve their uh, full potential. It is it is not limited at color of skin. It's the same for young women, and I talk about this a lot. I think that a lot of young women are growing up seeing men and young boys as the enemy, and I think that is just um, 
it's devoid of factuality. I think it's bad. I think it's evil. I think it's just shit in 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 mm. general. Like to have it's collective guilt. It's it's oh, not it's, nice. And it's not good. And it's the same with racism and it's the same with atrocities that have happened. Believe it or not, brown people have committed atrocities, white people have, black people have. It's 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 mm. it's more human than you would imagine. And I, I feel like racism is also more human than you would imagine. I think um, back in the day, racism was probably a good thing because you would be fearful of someone who didn't look like you coming into your camp or your tribe or whatever. If someone doesn't look like you, you'd be like, oh, shit, we're all going to die. Um, now, and I think we're just moving past it, uh, which is obviously a great thing. We're moving past it and we're moving past it quickly over the last hundred years with leaps and bounds. And I just hope that eventually we get to the point where, you know, the, this color of someone's skin is finally recognized as something that doesn't matter. And I think we're pretty much there in polite, normal society between, you know, in my street here, there's probably four different skin colors and no one gives a shit because that's the norm. No one cares. Mm. Um, and I, but if you believe the, the media, it's the number one thing. And if you believe social media, it's the most important thing that you could ever imagine. If white people are in Australia long enough, they'll get tanned enough to stop being white anyway. So I, I don't know if I believe that. I've been here for 26 years and I burn at the, <laughs> to a crisp immediately. Give it a few generations. Give it a oh, few. Man, there's, there's an African dude who lives across the road from me and I saw him today and I've got the like red fucking lobster arms and he's just out there with his shirt off. I was like, you fuck. How dare you <laughs> running around with all your fucking melanin. Hey, I burn. Melanin when privilege, I, right? Oh, just so many skin cancers growing on me this afternoon. It's just shit. But anyway, now that's that's white privilege right there, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, there's no discussion of the fact that we're still animals and we have uh, physiological uh, behaviours embedded into us in our genetic code. And is that an excuse for discrimination and, and what we now see as immoral acts? No, but uh, are those feelings going to arise? Uh, like you said, are we are we just sort of naturally programmed to uh, be cautious when we see people who don't look like us? Yeah, probably. You know that that makes a lot of evolutionary sense. Now it's then whether you act on that as to uh, where the judgment should occur. I think. Um, but if you have those initial feelings, I mean, look, I hell, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong when I when I do look at films when I do look at um, especially Hollywood films, I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, that guy's brown, right? Which just doesn't mean anything, right? Why am I connected to this random guy who's like halfway across the world? But it is like a sort of a natural uh, biological instinct, I do think. And there's this conversation now that everything is learned, you know, everything is socially constructed. We can um, create this perfect utopian society and I think it's naive. And I think we'll do a lot more harm than good by trying to uh, create this, uh, you know, uh, this this just idyllic, perfect utopia that has never existed in human history. I don't think it ever will exist. And we're heading down a dangerous path if we keep believing that. It hasn't it hasn't, it hasn't existed in human history nor animal history. Not on this planet. No. Like that's it doesn't exist. And even if it does, even if it does get to a utopian, um, perfect world, 
there'll be a fucking asteroid that'll turn up and blow it to pieces and they'll start again. It'll it'll be refreshed. I don't know now. Yeah. I, I think I think people expect the world to be all sunshine and rainbows and it's not, but it's also not as bad as you think. And I think we, we live in this world now where so many people are so constantly terrified of what they're going to say. Every word has to be measured. If you work in an office building, like you have to be super careful what you say. You can't mm. say anything without being fearful of, um, you know, being sacked or whatever. And does that mean that you should be able to say whatever you want to whoever you want? No. You shouldn't go up to Stacey in accounts and go, hey, Stacey, you got a big fat ass. I'd like to eat that ass. I had to throw in one eating ass um, comment in this video <laughs> oh, yep. be- yes. between both of us. <laughs> Neil, uh, yeah. ob- obviously, Australia's the biggest ass eater. Um, I don't know if you want to uh, elaborate Prolific. on that or not. Prolific ass eater. Um, <laughs> Gold medal um, ass eater. God, well, you wouldn't want to be the bronze medal. Imagine if you were third in the world for ass eating. Like that's how <laughs> you just weren't quite good enough. What makes? You- All <laughs> how right. do you measure it? Hey, like what is it? The is technique, it- you know, how you move your tongue around the rim, or what is it? You know. So this is this is what I want this new podcast channel to be about. I want serious chats, but I want also want to talk about ass eating. Eating ass is the next. I think it is the electric car of you know twenty twenty one because like back in the day, people would have laughed at eating ass. Yeah, we're there. Yeah. You know, Tesla, Elon Musk. You know, loves eating ass. I think that people, you know, five, ten years ago, they laughed at eating ass. They said, no way. They're all about nah. just the, the front garage. No. Right now, if you're not eating ass, you're behind the times. You're a bitch. Get in there. <laughs> Get in there, you little <laughs> pussy. What are you scared of? You're scared of a yeah. little poo? Come on. <laughs> Get up in that COVID. grill. <laughs> you want to well, get out yeah. there. And face COVID, but you're too scared of a bit of a bit of butt. Imagine if that was the cure for coronavirus: is you just had to eat one person's ass. Like there was one, like they they were carrying the cure in between their ass cheeks, and that was how you got rid of it. I wonder, I wonder how many people would take the cure. You had to eat Clive Palmer's ass. Okay. What about that? There's a question for you: Would you eat Clive Palmer's ass to get the cure from coronavirus? Because it's, yeah. only, kill- it's, it's only killing one like, percent of people. For, the cure for the whole world, though. So does everyone have to eat it, or do you then get the antibodies from eating Clive Palmer's ass, and they can take a vial of your blood and they can replicate it and that, and create a vaccine that's a hundred percent effective? You never have to get a booster or anything like that, and. All, all the anti-vaxxers are like, yeah, we've checked it for fucking, um, yeah, we've checked yeah. Clive's ass for all the magnets and, and, the, and the chips and stuff. There's no chips in his ass. It's all good. It's all kosher. Let's go ahead, 100% vegan, natural, all that shit. Would you eat Clive's ass to save everyone's grandma from coronavirus, Neil Kohaka? I will be the hero humanity needs. I'll get right in there. If it's for the, if it's for the world, you can't but- not do it. No, you can't. Not you do have it. to. You got to. Feel like Braveheart, like Mel Gibson yeah. and Braveheart, sons of sons of Australia. My name is Neil Kalhakar, and I will eat this ass this on this day or the next. It'll be the next moon landing, you know, televised across the world. The most rated video on Pornhub. I will save humanity by getting right up in Clive Palmer's butthole. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, but if it's going to be like the next moon landing, then there's going to be all these people who say, nah, nah, it's bullshit. Neil didn't eat Clive Palmer's ass. Um, do pe- I, I don't know if everyone on this uh, well, current video knows who Clive Palmer is. I hope Connor's put up a fucking photo of uh, Clive throughout this entire thing, maybe a photo of him being very sweaty. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, Clive made all the power to you. He's doing well, I think. He's he's got um, what's that other sure bloke's is, name? Yeah. What's 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 his name? Clive's new understudy. Um, he's oh, coming I didn't out. Even know. Oh, he's Craig Kelly. Craig Kelly's coming out, oh. and uh, he's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Just it, all over YouTube. Get off my fucking YouTube ads, Craig. We get it. This, we get it. About, you don't spot the lockdowns. You don't need to keep going. <laughs> the thing about Craig is, I I think it's important that he's heard, um, as I think a lot sure. of people do. Um, whether or not you agree with him or not, it's not important. It's important that everyone's heard, and that's what I'm glad that the uh, the Australian people are. I think that, I think we're pretty open with free speech and and all that type of stuff. Maybe less open now than we ever have been. I think people, um, particularly with anti vaxxers and lockdown people, people just like no, nah, shut up, you're not allowed to talk. And I don't think that's a good thing. I think we need to listen to people because some people it we, we, it could turn out that they're right. You never know. So mm-hmm. I think any time you try and stop people from talking, like I just did to you, I think it's a bad thing. Yeah, free uh, speech, which we, yeah, look, we technically don't legally have in Australia. We don't have a uh, Bill of Rights. We should. Um, but we've got implied, I think it's implied political speech. That's how it's worded. Uh, it's messy, you know. There's going to be people who say some dumb shit, but the alternative is worse, and that's always been my opinion about it. Life is about trade-offs. You can't, if you want to speak freely, you've got to accept that there's going to be some dumb cunts out there that are going to say some horrible, ridiculous shit. But that is still a better option than some random bureaucrats or even worse, uh, big tech employees deciding what the acceptable speech is. Uh, And look, you know, don't don't cry fire in a crowded theatre, all the usual caveats, but uh, you're right. Uh, Granted, there is like, like people will say, oh, cancel culture and, you know, the fact that that we're very politically correct is an indictment on free speech. For me, the the big thing is like, are you being arrested for something you say um that's if that ever happens then like i think that's time to get into the streets there's not many things that would make me protest that would yeah something like cancel culture right it's you you can lose jobs and you can really uh cop it mentally but people do also have the right to say things like you're a racist you're a sexist all of that because that's their free speech as well um I would call that more like a culture of free speech, right? And and the culture of free speech is definitely diminished because, yes, people are trying to walk on eggshells and, look, it's important to be precise with what you say and, and not just if, if you're having a serious conversation as well, not just sort of speak off the top of your head and, and say anything with no um, thought of the consequences, but people should be allowed to explore ideas and that's the beauty of podcasts, I think. Uh, we can just explore our thoughts and, you know, not have to worry about saying the, the exact right thing to not upset everyone. Um, and I think that's important. I think uh, podcasts have uh, 
just done wonders for that. And I think I think I like to think it's improving because yeah. now, you know, people who were otherwise uh, extremely uh, strict about what they say and are now calling out cancel culture, right? There's people like J.K. Rowling and I'm pretty sure even Childish Gambino. These people are talking about how uh, damaging cancel culture and the um, politically correct environment we're currently living in is, especially for artists. That's the big one. When artists are uh, afraid to take risks, then it's gone too far, you know? Mm. I, I think with cancel culture, it's just that mob mentality that is the dangerous part. It's the... Mm-hmm. Um, like my best example of cancel culture is not not even the stuff that happened to me with the whole the whole Christchurch massacre joke. Like that was you know people were calling um, like you know the sponsors like Surfshark and stuff that sponsor me and and they they said oh we're not going to sponsor him for a month or whatever. Um, you know they they went for the sponsors. They rang venues and stuff, and venues were freaking out. Like that's you know. That's not a very nice thing to do, but you know, if you're angry, I get why you did it. The stuff that I don't like is when it's the the, well, the worst. Sorry, where I was going with that, I completely lost my train of thought. Where I was going with that was when I talk shit about, and Alex Williamson was someone else who was talking shit about this person at the same time was K-pop fans and One Direction, and uh, not One Direction. Um, what's the other fucking the, the that, Korean yeah. well, BTS BTS stands? Uh, yeah. yeah, man, they went. I, I have never been more overcome with fear for my career than that time. that I, So I made a video. I made a video and I jumped on a plane to Brisbane for an hour and 10 minutes or whatever it takes. And that video on Twitter got, I think it was 300,000 views in like an hour and 20 minutes. Massive. And man, it was just all negative shit. Just BTS fans. like Because I, I said their songs suck. I'd never heard any of their songs. I was just jumping on the back of Alex Williamson's thing that he was doing with them. And, man, they were ringing venues. They were ringing my management. They were ringing everybody. They were trying to get my accounts cancelled. They were ringing someone rang my bank. Like, it was crazy. They just went fucking Your full bank. hand. Jesus. Yeah. So I, right. I, yeah, I, yeah, don't talk about BTS. BTS is the best, right? Um, I was like, <laughs> I'd never – I always said, no, I'd never, you know, I'd never succumb to – cancel culture but at that point i was like no delete everything i don't want this this is bad you know yeah they were they were going after everything and like so venues were getting um they put out this little uh document and they were getting all these phone calls like thousands of phone calls from like these angry korean kids (laughs) and they were getting like emails after mad i didn't realize it was that intense and alex got the same thing so wild that that's cancel culture. That's that mob mentality. Oh, that's the that's the lynching, the public lynching, and it's uh, that's not good. But yeah, to your point, cancel Jesus. culture is it has you know it has its uh, side of free speech on either side. Um, but as to what you said about uh, artists, like you know as well as I do, and and I think most logical people know that some of the things you say on stage, you definitely don't mean. They're silly, they're wrong, they're disgusting, and you're just saying it. it can be taken out of context and it's very uncharitable the way people assume the worst all the time. And sometimes, you know, we we have to try jokes to an audience and you can fuck it up. You can misstep. You can say something that... You know, you you thought it was funny in your head, and then it turns out it wasn't, and then everyone was filming it, and then you're fucked. But 
Also, people can say, like, I don't like this joke. I thought that joke was bad. But why do you have to go and, like, ring people's bank account or whatever? I mean, it's just, it's in a weird way, I kind of feel sorry for all those people. Like, how, what's going on in your life that you need to just block them? Even then, make a tweet or something. But, like, to to ring up venues and to to go through this, it's... It's ideology that's just gone, that's been completely bastardized. And I think, you know what, to be as charitable as I possibly can, I think um, modern living is void of purpose and meaning. And, you know, I think someone like Jordan Peterson can articulate this far better than I can, but people are looking for a cause. People are looking for something to fight for. And for a lot of these people, this is something to fight for. Like, this is the enemy. Like, this, we need to help um, the oppressed people by, like, taking down these people who have careers that are dangerous and spreading dangerous ideas and, and harming the environment for uh, people who've been historically marginalised. And, look, that's a noble thing to look out for. But the process and the, and the ideology and the thinking that has... Uh, uh, caused that uh, conclusion is flawed. It's extremely flawed. And, and for a lot of people, I think they maybe need to look inwards and understand that there's maybe things they need to work on and, and uh, you know, the old adage, clear, clean their room yeah. uh, before they try and control the external world. Um, and it, sometimes it's not easy, right? Like I used to uh, delete comments and block people when I first started, if it was really uncomfortable and if it was something I thought was just really dumb. And then I sort of thought to myself, well, hang on. In my locus of control, with the limited power I have, I'm willing to just get rid of this person on my Facebook. Well, what are the implications of that? What if I owned a, you know, a reasonably large business and an employee was saying something I didn't like? Would I then be firing them? What if I was a dictator and in, um, you know, Saudi Arabia or North Korea. If a journalist said something I didn't like, would I be killing them? And then I sort of came to this real realisation, like, holy shit, maybe I would be because with the small power I had, I was willing to just, like, delete these people and block them. And I thought, fuck, I've got a bit of that, like, authoritarian impulse in me. And I think that's a perfect example of people being able to look inwards not saying I'm perfect or anything now either, but uh, what you think is wrong with the world, find it in yourself and be in control of it first. Mm. Because if everyone did that, it would uh, it would disappear. It's really that simple, actually. I, I really do think, and I, I believe, this has been my belief for a long period of time, that a lot of people miss religion. And I'm not a religious person in any way. Same. I just think that people, for whatever reason, human nature is to be religious and have something to fight for. And these people that ring up venues and, and go after people and make their whole lives about tweeting about something they're upset about, that is their religion. The people who fight for or to be a, you know, to be a white savior and save all the brown people that is their religion or be uh, a male feminist and f- save all the women. That is their religion to be angry at all men. That is their religion. And I genuinely think that if you just made a switch and instead of being so negative about everything in the world and finding the worst everywhere to make your religion about bettering yourself 
and going down to the park every day and doing your, your calisthenics and then doing your own, you know, comedy night and all those type of things. Like, you know, what I'm doing with my running and stuff, like I'm doing 10Ks three days a week and then I'm doing my gym training in between all that and starting my – everything I do is trying to make myself a better person and create a better life for me and my family. And I think the more you do that and make that your religion, then you are on the way to becoming a better, happier and healthier person. I think if more people did that, we'd have a lot less less problems in the world. And to go back to what we spoke about before with the incident rate of people taking antidepressants and anti-anxiolytics, over the last two years, there has been an increase in prescriptions for anti, uh, antipsychotics, anti-anxiolytics, and antidepressants of 25%. So 25% increase, which is massive. Huge. Yeah, not good. Terrible. Really alarming trends. But um, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, look, in individualism and, and personal responsibility have their merits. They're not white supremacist constructs, okay? They actually will help people of colour more than anything, I believe. And to just sort of dismiss that and say, well, some people have a, have a life uh, easier than myself and some people have been dealt a better hand than me, well... Don't compare yourself to those people. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Just all those cliches, they're, they're yeah. simplistic, they're, they're, uh, they're hack, but they're true and they're not easy to live by. And, uh, yeah, when I, you know, started looking inwards a bit more and working on what I could do and not just even then, like not blaming the comedy industry, not blaming mainstream uh, old media I think it's you can still be critical of things like that, but not uh, let my uh, uh, inability to climb that what I believe is sort of ideologically corrupt hierarchy impede, first of all, my sense of self-worth, my happiness and what I'm able to do. I actually achieved a lot more. You know, it's, it's, it's people that are just uh, paving their own way uh, who are actually creating the, the the hierarchies of the future and the establishments of the future. And that is the need to have a mentality of I am in control of my actions uh, of my life. And I can sit here and get annoyed uh, of what I'm saying at uh, what I'm seeing on, on the internet, or I can turn the phone off and I can go for a run. I can read, I can do the little things, little daily practices, uh, that in 10 years will pay massive dividends because you, 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 people underestimate what they're capable of in, over a long period of time. It's kind of like the share market, right? They say, you know, it's not about when you invest, it's about time spent in the market. I think it's a similar sort of concept with uh, just good daily behavioural practices. It's not about uh, when you start doing it. It's about how long you're doing it and how consistently you're doing it over a an extended period of time in your life and it will pay dividends. Yeah, it, it's it's a cumulative effect. It's compounding interest. It's I'm, Absolutely. I'm, believe it or not, I'm writing a book at the moment and the chapter I'm working on is basically about small wins and how everything is built on small wins. Everything good in your life is about small wins. It's all. It's not about one big picture. It's all about the ingredients to, to the cake, all those cliches that you were saying before. But there's a reason, there's a reason they're cliches is because they're true and they work. 
And I think that people see these these vast goals and these these horrifyingly unachievable things in their life, but they don't look at it from the from the micro level, and they don't sort of work out this the easiest way to achieve something is by breaking it down into small wins. But um, Neil, thank you very much for joining me, my friend. I appreciate your time and your efforts. And uh, my camera's Thanks about to die, me. so I'll cut it short. But um, Ladies and gentlemen, where can you catch Neil? You can catch him on TikTok. He's finally got a blue tick. Is that correct? Yeah, I got it after a while. Yeah. I was performing for their uh, event. So I said, well, look, for oh, a really? perform, you've got to give me that blue tick. Well, I said to you, I <laughs> said when you while. They didn't give it to you straight away. I was like, mate, play the race card straight away. Play I it. told You're- you, right. I said, like, if I get to a million and I don't have the blue tick, I'm going to play the race card. I'm going to go all out. But you know, they, um, they uh, yeah, they gave it to me. So Neil Cole Hatka, uh, YouTube.com slash Neil K, posting a lot now. Got two podcasts, do one with Jordan, Neil and Jordan, and Sex Cells with a C. It's another podcast i do about relationships and and dating so yeah plenty of places to check my content out and yeah beautiful thank you very much mate i appreciate it ladies and gentlemen thanks for joining us make sure you subscribe to this new channel the new podcast will be here in a couple of weeks as soon as we come out of lockdown and of course you know spotify if you want to listen to this in the car if you're a big fucking crazy fucker like that uh other than that Toodaloo, au revoir. Be a good motherfucker. Bye-bye.